morning, Crosspoint Peachtree City family. Thanks for bringing the church both into this video stream and onto this lawn in a moment that will forever be marked as historical for us. If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church, the guy who gets the privilege most weeks of unpacking the scriptures as we come together, something that I'm going to do my best to do without making you sit through a thousand tear-filled pauses. As I was talking with the staff several days back, I had every intention of continuing to work our way through 2 Corinthians this morning, having done most of the work of putting together a sermon for this very day. But as we got nearer to June 7th, I, I sensed what I can only describe as a Holy Spirit curveball, knowing that Part of our church family would be gathered together outdoors. I began to think about the various outdoor teaching moments in the gospel accounts in large part as a means of my own encouragement, a reminder that the advancement of the gospel needs no walls or ceilings, that Jesus radically transformed multitudes of hearts in the open air. But what started out broad quickly became narrow in scope as I found myself unable to get away from the Sermon on the Mount and particularly the Beatitudes, a portion of Scripture that we've recently spent time with as a church, which would seem to establish it as off-limits for the foreseeable future. And yet it's just been incredibly inescapable for me in our gathering together on a day like today, a day on which perhaps the best thing we could possibly do would be to allow the old and familiar to reestablish our hearts, both living room and lawn, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. As I sat with old sermon notes having to do with Jesus's blessed are statements, I was dumbfounded at how both timeless and timely Jesus's words truly are, words that are so very easy to commend on the one hand and yet so very easy to forget. And so this morning, it's not about novelty. It's about sitting at the feet of heaven's king, trusting his words to do what his words have always done. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in the first 12 verses of that chapter this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, you can go to esv.org on any digital device, and that'll take you to a website where you can find the very translation that we're going to be working through. That's a free resource. should only take you a couple of minutes to access that. Let me, let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll jump in and get to work this morning. Father in heaven, we, we come to you needy this morning, more desperate than we know. We invite you to reestablish our hearts as we sit at the feet of your son, Jesus. Would you, would you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory and your glory alone and our good and joy? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I prepared this sermon roughly two weeks ago in preparation for a very much needed vacation, I, I did so with a pandemic in mind. With the question of what God's people might need to hear in stepping into this lawn and live stream moment, with three months of pandemic living under our belts, having revealed unique things in each and every one of our hearts. Little did I know that the killing of George Floyd, in the words of one fellow pastor, would, quote, force a reckoning with the legacy of racism, both personal and institutional, in our nation's past and present. I, I missed the elective course in seminary on pastoring through a pandemic along with every other pastor on the planet. 
reckoning with the legacy of racism while pastoring through a pandemic, I think Jesus just might be looking to make crystal clear that he's the only infallible shepherd, the only one truly sufficient to fix what's broken. If I, if I haven't already failed you over these past few months, just give me a little more time. The messages coming from brothers, sisters, fellow pastor friends, they're mixed, which makes it all the more difficult to navigate. So I invite you, pray for me. I I desperately need it. Pray for our team of staff and elders. I don't know what God is up to, what he will have done in and through his people when we look back on this unique moment a decade or two from now, assuming that Jesus hasn't already returned. What I do know is that I've never sensed the leading of the Holy Spirit like I have these past few months. This very morning's passage being a perfect example. I mean, what what better to speak to both pandemic-related and injustice-related heart issues than the Beatitudes? Heaven's King realigning our hearts with the standards and values of His countercultural kingdom. I, I didn't see George Floyd coming, but God did. That said, I I trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us not only this morning, but in the weeks and months to come as we seek to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with heaven's King right in the middle of a pandemic. To Him and Him alone be the glory. Picking up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we're told that seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain, Jesus did. And when He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, If Jesus is actually who he claimed to be, whatever he says rings forth with the resounding authority of the divine, the same kind of authority with which he said to his disciples, follow me. The the Sermon on the Mount is a call to come under the reign of the king, a radical turn in direction from the kingdom of this world, trusting that Jesus's kingdom is a better kingdom because Jesus is a better king. A sermon that begins with Jesus' famous pronouncements of blessing, commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, a collection of blessings that reverse the standards and values of the world, evidencing the standards and values of the countercultural kingdom of heaven, describing the, the beauty of what it means to be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. As we briefly go through these blessed are statements, and parents, I promise I will be brief, (laughs) I encourage you to think through these past few months with the following questions in mind. Where do I sense that the king wants to plant his flag of kingship deeper in my heart? Where do I sense Jesus realigning my heart with the standards and values of his countercultural kingdom? be it pandemic-related or oppression, injustice, hate, and discrimination-related. Right out of the gate, Jesus flips the entire paradigm of human thinking on its head, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not man's weakness that will deceive and destroy him. It's man's perceived strength. Charles Spurgeon once said, Our imaginary goodness is more difficult to conquer than our actual sin. Man can sooner be cured of his sicknesses than be made to forego his boasts of health. Human weakness is a small obstacle to salvation compared with human strength. There lies the work and the difficulty. Hence, it is a sign of grace, he says, to know one's need of grace. He who knows and feels that he is in darkness has some light in his soul. 
that the kingdom of heaven doesn't welcome the counterfeit currency of self-righteousness. In fact, some would call that the devil's currency. C.S. Lewis once said, whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on not by God, but by the devil. That a prideful heart is the devil's playground, while a contrite heart is the playground of the living God. Jesus's words are an invitation to all of us to declare, my pockets are empty and I'm desperate for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are recognizing more and more by the day just how desperate for God they truly are, just how bankrupt apart from God they truly are, how deeply dependent upon his indwelling spirit. They are the enviable ones, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven along with heaven's king. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The world pokes fun at the gift of lament, which we talked about a couple months ago, while Jesus invites us to practice lament, to, to grieve the effects of sin, to grieve the loss of the garden, rather than fraudulently pretending that sad things aren't sad. It's right to, to weep over lives lost to a virus, to economies ravaged, to the destructive effects of isolated living over months' time. It's right to weep over hate and discrimination, both individual and institutional, along with the wounds that new headlines open wide in the hearts of black image bearers, whether we understand those tears ourselves or not. As the Apostle Paul says, we weep with those who weep. John Stott says, some Christians seem to imagine that especially if they are filled with the Spirit, they must wear a perpetual grin on their face and be continuously boisterous and bubbly. The truth is that there are such things as Christian tears and too few of us ever weep them. The poverty of spirit, it evokes an emotional response so that to be a follower of Jesus is to have all of your emotions awakened. You become a happier and sadder person all at the same time. Blessed are those who grieve sin and its ravaging effects on this broken world, Jesus says. Those who mourn the loss of the garden, they are the enviable ones for they shall find the comfort they long for in Christ. It's in coming face to face with the sorrow of sin and the brokenness of this world that we experience the sweetness of the Savior. Verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness simply meaning poverty of spirit directed toward others. It has to do with my view of or attitude toward myself and it has to do with how I express that view of myself in the way I relate to other people, other image bearers of God. A.W. Pink writes, Meekness causes the believer to bear patiently those insults and injuries which he receives at the hands of his fellows and makes him ready to accept instruction and admonition from the least of the saints, moving him to think highly of others than of himself. Meekness enables the Christian, he says, to endure provocations without being inflamed by them. He remains cool when others get heated. Meekness learns and listens rather than always proclaiming and declaring. Meekness isn't brash or harsh, but rather gentle and composed. And that includes social media. Lord, help us.
These are just a, a few of the evidences of the multifaceted jewel of meekness. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says. They are the enviable ones, fellow heirs with Christ who shall inherit all that is his. Blessed are those, verse 6, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger to be conformed to God's will, who desire freedom from sin in all its forms and manifestations, those who hunger to no longer be hungry for sin, who thirst to no longer be thirsty for sin, those who long to love what the king loves, to have their hearts broken for the things that break his heart. Blessed are those who long to see righteousness happening in the world, who have hunger pangs for something better than the world's standards and values. They are the enviable ones, Jesus says, whose longing shall be satisfied by God as citizens of a kingdom under the sovereign reign of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Psalm 107 verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy the kind of mercy that cares about the elderly and immune compromised and doesn't treat their lives lightly, the kind of mercy that cares about the financially struggling and seeks to care for them in their time of need, the kind of mercy that cares about the depressed and lonely and seeks to bring hope into the ravaging effects of pandemic-related isolation, the kind of mercy that cares about oppression, injustice, hate, and discrimination, discrimination including racism, the kind of mercy that cares when image bearers are treated like animals and seeks to listen and learn and be an agent of reconciliation and change, the the kind of mercy that longs for hell-bound sinners, including oppressors, to know Jesus Christ and looks for ways to both declare and display this beautiful kingdom of heaven. Those are just a a few examples of a mercy ethic in times like these, revealing just how desperate we truly are for the wisdom and grace of God. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says. They are the enviable ones, for they shall more fully experience the wonder of God's mercy themselves. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they shall see God. The kingdom of heaven is about deep heart transformation, This this verse shows us what God has been up to over these past few months. The king plumbing the depths of our ambitions, plumbing the depths of our motivations, uprooting the deepest idols of our hearts, uprooting the deepest prejudices in our hearts. That's part of what God is doing in this historical moment. Underneath all the various check engine lights, God is surgically at work making incisions that are ultimately for our good to which we should cry like David, do your work, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They are the enviable ones, Jesus says, for they shall see God now in the expressions of his grace that fill their hearts with gratitude and in the refining fire of his heart-transforming love and the even greater promise that awaits, they shall someday see him as he truly is and shall be like him, pure forever. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, for they shall be called sons of God. As we gather together via live stream and lawn, two very different platforms in the midst of an incredibly visceral moment heightened by fatigue, the gospel calls us to peacemaking. The gospel calls us to unity, to enter where the hope of reconciliation is needed. 
The very mission that the King of Heaven entered into the brokenness of our world to accomplish, making peace by the blood of His cross. So that peacemaking reflects the very heart of the kingdom of heaven, the very heart of heaven's king. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, they are the enviable ones, for they shall be called sons of God, bearing the resemblance of their heavenly father, who is the God of peace. Verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are are plenty of professing Christians over the course of the past few weeks and months who are not processing their thoughts through the lens of the gospel, not processing their emotions through the lens of the gospel, not processing their decisions through the lens of the gospel. But there are many who are and who are nonetheless being slandered and reviled by others on the basis of false assumptions and misconceptions or perhaps an inability to see beyond one's own perspective. Blessed are those who are insulted and reviled for following Jesus, for seeking to live in accordance with with their citizenship under the reign of heaven's king. By the way, as a side note, I'm so glad that Jesus decided to put this one last because we'd be so quick to run here before checking our own hearts. Blessed are those who are insulted for living in accordance with their citizenship under the reign of heaven's king. They are the enviable ones, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and the reward that awaits them in that glorious kingdom is great. These are the timeless and timely words of heaven's king describing the beauty of what it means to be a citizen of his good kingdom. If you're not a Christian, let let me just say this. Jesus's words are an indictment before they're a joy, bringing sinners face to face with their desperate need for a savior. No pandemic necessary to show us our inability to live perfectly in accordance with kingdom standards. Though the last few weeks and and months have surely unearthed some things that might not have been unearthed otherwise, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven cannot be naturally obtained by any of us. We talked about it a a few weeks ago in the Crosspoint Kids world. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Citizenship in the kingdom of God is on the basis of a supernatural work of God's grace by which people dead in their trespasses and sins are made alive in Christ. No longer citizens of the kingdom of this world, but rather citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Elsewhere in Colossians 3 verses 13 and 14, Paul says it this way, He has delivered us, God has, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
No one beatitudes their way into the kingdom of heaven. Citizenship comes by way of a supernatural work of God's grace made possible because of Jesus. He was perfectly poor in spirit. He beautifully and perfectly mourned and grieved the things that make this world sad. He was perfectly meek and lowly in heart. He perfectly and beautifully longed to see God's broken world set right, extending mercy to those in need. A purity of heart like the world has never known, which is good news to those of us who have failed to perfectly exemplify the values of God's kingdom. He came to establish peace and reconciliation through the persecution of the cross, taking our trespasses and sins upon himself so that we might be forgiven. Jesus is our only hope for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are not an entrance exam. The Beatitudes are a declaration of what it means for the citizens of the kingdom to become like the king, the one in whom we receive every spiritual blessing. So that if you're, if you're not a Christian, the appropriate response this morning is that of a beggar crying out to King Jesus for salvation, for citizenship. Jesus, I I can't make myself clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I invite you to put your faith in him, to put your trust in him. His perfect sinless life lived for you. His sacrificial death died for you. And if you are a Christian, let me just declare something that's such good news for all of us this morning. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven under the reign of the only wise, sovereign, and good king. Hallelujah. A king who will someday return to do away with the kingdom of this world forever so that we might experience the greatest happily ever after the world has ever known in the consummated kingdom of heaven in the presence of the rightful king. No more separated saints. No more social distancing. No more sickness and death. No more financial hardship. No more loneliness and depression. No more oppression and injustice. No more racism and other forms of discrimination and hate. Image bearers of God will be treated as such in the consummated kingdom of the one true king. But for now, we wait. We sit at Jesus' feet trusting his words to do what his words have always done as he invites us to realign our hearts with the standards and values of his countercultural kingdom. As you think through these past few weeks and months, where do you sense the king planting his flag of kingship deeper in your heart? Where do you sense Jesus calling you to leave your nets and follow him? Mm-hmm.